Hello and welcome back as we continue our wonderful journey through these amazing commandments that God has so lovingly blessed us with. I hope we've had a, a great week since the last session. Let's uh, begin this evening with our opening prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever enjoy in his consolations. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, we've gone through these commandments together a lot of times now. This will be the last time we'll do them together. Call them out loud and clear. Make sure that we have them top of mind so we can live them in our lives and share them with others. The first commandment. I shall not have strange gods before me. Number two. You shall not use the names of the Lord your gods in vain. Number three. Remember to keep holy the Lord's day. Number four, honor your father and mother. Number five, you shall not kill. Number six, you shall not commit adultery. Number seven, you shall not steal. Number eight, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Number nine, you shall not Covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's spouse. And number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's goods. Very good. Having them top of mind helps them to live them and recognize in our lives when maybe we're crossing the line uh, and we can step back from it much quicker. So tonight's session is on two commandments, the ninth and 10th commandment. Number nine being you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's goods. Now, I don't know if you do this, but I, I think what a lot of people do is they look at these two commandments, kind of like the credits at the end of a movie. The movie's over, and here's the credits. And for me, I'm not that interested in the credits. I don't really care who the conductor was on the elevator or who the, bar, uh, the barkeeper was. Uh, there. Some people really like that. My wife really enjoys reading the credits and seeing that. But for myself, I write that off. I'm done with the movie there. Now, as we've gone through the commandments here, I want to make sure that we don't treat these two commandments like the credits at the end of a movie. They're so much more important. These two commandments hold the keys for knowing how to live and obey all the other commandments. That's how powerful these two commandments are. And it's very exciting for me to, to share this with you. At the beginning of time, and we so often have gone back to the beginning of time, God's creation, where it all started. But at the beginning of the time, God had a plan that was very different than what we're living right now. He had a plan of harmony. The relationships between Adam and Eve were in harmony. And they trusted in God that he would just provide for them through the fruits of the earth and the animals, everything was in harmony. And this is what God's plan was for us. And he 
He says in Genesis, he says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and he planted there the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made various trees grow that were delightful to look at and good for food, with the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God then took the man and settled him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and care for it. In the beginning, God's plan for mankind was one of harmony, but we know what happened. They disobeyed God's command to not partake of the tree of good and evil, and things changed. That harmony was lost. They realized that they were naked, and as they realized they were naked, lust of the flesh became a part of our world. And lust of the flesh is the disordered attraction to the flesh, not a natural attraction. And because they were banished from the garden and required to work by the sweat of their brow to feed themselves, the lust of the eyes and a disordered desire for the things of the world and greed set in. And when you think about what Adam and Eve did, they set themselves above God and the pride of life set in. And we are constantly struggling with making sure that we put God first in our lives and we don't put ourselves over God. But this is set in, this pride of life, and it's a disordered relationship to God as we place ourselves above God. This disrupted the harmony in the world. It disrupted the original plan, and Adam and Eve hid themselves from one another. And they started blaming each other for who really caused them to disobey God. And they started to blame God himself because Adam says, it's the woman who you put here with me that caused me to sin. You see how the disharmony in the world set in with that first disobedience of God's commandments? It's not what God intended, and it's not what we want in our lives as well. So how do we get back to that harmony? These two commandments here will help show how we can get back to this harmony with God. They're beautiful commandments, and not just the credits at the end of a movie. We see in the disharmony that was set in when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, that disharmony established covetousness in the hearts of mankind. And we see this in the story of Abel and Cain. Cain had covetousness in his heart. He was envious of the sacrifice that his brother was making to God. And out of his covetousness and his envy, he went and killed his brother. With sin, death entered the world. That covetousness is where it starts. Now let's talk a little bit about what covetousness is, what coveting is. It's not a, it's not, coveting is not a word that we use in our common day language. When was the last time that you said, you know, the other day I was coveting something. It's just, it's just not part of our natural language. And I think part of it is we don't really know what coveting is. So let's, let's spend a little bit of time on it. I'll tell you from the start, coveting is poison. We saw that when Cain killed Abel. We saw that when 
Adam and Eve coveted the apple. Coveting is poison. It leads to sin, and sin leads to death. So coveting, in our lives, we can see it as a disordered desire or an obsession for something. It's not a desire for something. God creates desires within us for good. But this is a disordered desire, something that gets things out of order for the real purpose of what they're for. Coveting, it's where we get things out of order and we prioritize things that are of lesser value for something of greater value. For example, pleasure, physical pleasure over authentic relationship. Entertainment over accomplishment. We trade something that is of lesser value over something that's greater. Covetousness causes us to be blind to the intended purpose of what God has given to us. The intended purpose of money is not to accumulate it all and feel good and to have the security in a false God, but to use our money in a way that brings us and others closer to God and closer to one another. The intended purpose for our sexuality is not to be self-serving, but to be life-giving. Covetousness causes us to get this turned around and to lose sight and be blind to the intended purpose. It includes both tangible possessions, the worldly things of, of materialism and money, but also intangible things such as pride and authority and power and prestige. Idolatry is what covetous causes us to fall into. If I have a disordered desire towards something in my life, entertainment or money, accomplishment, I push God out of my life and place for what I obsess over. It's idolatry when we fall into covetousness. And this is really interesting for me. When we covet something, it's evidence that we're lacking spiritually, that we don't have God in the right place in our lives. We don't have the intended purpose for what God gave us in the right priority. And it's a spiritual lacking in our lives. Now, Mark Twain is not readily known as one of the, the uh, church's renowned theologians, but he has some good words of wisdom to share with us right here. He tells us, there is no such thing as material covetousness. All covetousness is spiritual. Any so-called material thing that you want is merely a symbol. You want it not for itself, but because it will content your spirit for the moment. It's a spiritual lacking that we have and we desire something and we get it, but it only lasts for a moment. It doesn't satisfy us the way God satisfies us. Coveting is the enemy of God and we can see in the fourth chapter of James, this is holding true here where it says, you covet but you do not possess. You kill and envy but you cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. Adulterers. Do you not know that to be a lover of the world means enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a lover of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The envy of Cain led to death. The coveting of Eve led to the disruption of the harmony and sin and death entered the world. Coveting is the enemy of God. 
It's a poison. And we need to understand how this poison works so we can circumvent it. Coveting, as we see, gives birth to sin, and, and sin leads to death. And we see, again, in the book of James, in chapter 1 this time, it says, each person, that means all of us, none of us are exempt, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire conceives and bring forth sin. And when sin reaches maturity, it gives birth to death. You see the progression of how this works? You see the progression of the temptation starts? And then we focus our desire on it. We become a little obsessed with it. And it grows and expands. And then it reaches maturity. And it leads forth to death. This is how it works. And if we understand that it starts with that temptation, and we can circumvent that temptation and stop it in its tracks, it sets us free. We avoid those deadly sins. Now, we've heard the, the saying, opportunity only knocks once, right? We've all heard that saying, unfortunately only knocks once. But what does temptation do if we give it a little bit of opportunity to start working on us? It doesn't knock once, it leans on the doorbell and just keeps pushing and ringing and ringing and ringing. And if we feed that temptation, it continues to ring until we open the door. But knowing how coveting works, we have another choice. We can say, I'm not going to open that door. And we send Jesus to open the door. We bring Jesus into our life. And we say, Jesus, I don't have the strength and the courage to open that door. I don't want to go there. Will you open the door for me? And he will. But we got to bring Jesus into our lives front and center to circumvent that covetousness. Now let's take a, a closer look into the ninth commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's spouse. And let's talk about the things that this includes. What does it involve? And I'll just give you a few examples and you can see how maybe these play out in your lives and other examples. But it includes staring. When we stare, that, that temptation hits us and we stare. We start to entertain that thought with our stare. And flirting. Flirting is just harmless fun, right? But think of what it leads to. Think of how that flirting can grow into something more. Dressing immodestly. Now, somebody might dress immodestly, not because they want to be tempted by somebody else, but they want somebody else to be tempted by them. So it goes both directions. It's men and women who play a part in this ninth commandment. We need to be aware of the part that we play. Fantasizing, allowing that temptation to grow and expand. You know, that temptation, as it starts off, it's not a sin when we're first tempted. And if we move on and do something else, have Jesus go answer the door, there's no sin involved. But if we take that temptation and we start to engage in it, if we make a choice, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend a little time with this temptation, 
we've just crossed over the line and we haven't necessarily done anything physically, but in our thoughts, we have sinned. And of course, something like pornography or the romance novels that go in to this ninth commandment and, and cause our imagination to become great and, and focused on the sexual aspect of the romance novels. Think of the damage that, that is caused with this commandment when we flirt and when we stare. Think of the damage of jealousy in a relationship. When a spouse sees their husband or wife looking at other of the opposite sex on a frequent basis, think of how that makes a person feel. What does that jealousy do in the relationship? Causes people to mistrust one another, arguments to set in, the damage in those relationships. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, right? And so what we do is we start to find fault in our spouse and we see nothing but the greatness in what we're looking at. And this all leads to adultery. And adultery often leads to families being shattered and broken. And the damage that's caused to the entire family and the nephews and nieces and all the relationships involved in a family. And if that adultery leads to a new baby being conceived, that baby might not be wanted and it might lead to the killing of that baby. See how coveting is poison? We gotta stop it in its tracks when it starts. Have Jesus go answer that doorbell right away. Don't waste time. Jesus warns us about how coveting starts in our hearts. It doesn't start with us acting something out. It starts in our hearts and he warns us by saying, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's warning us to look into our hearts. Now let's look at how this ninth commandment pertains to our spiritual life and the damage that it causes us spiritually when we disobey this ninth commandment. Think of the spiritual damage of the near occasion of sin, of how it steps us up close to that time when we're going to sin and start a cascade of things that cause things to unravel. But that near occasion of sin shows that we are lacking something spiritually. We're starting to put something else in place of God. We're putting our desires over God. And it jeopardizes our salvation. It's not just here on earth, but it jeopardizes our eternal life afterwards. And it, and it leads us to being a slave to our sin. If I'm adulterous, I don't want people to find out about it. So what am I liable to do? Go and break the commandment, do not bear false witness, do not lie. And so now I'm gonna make up these lies and fabricate a false truth. And I become a slave to it. Now I've gotta to live to this false truth because these are the lies that other people think are going on. And now I've become a slave. And we mentioned before the idolatry of putting ourselves above God in covetousness. The spiritual damage is much more devastating than the physical damage. We, we think about the physical ramifications of breaking the ninth commandment, but the spiritual ramifications are much more severe. So coveting is a poison and St. Paul is very emphatic about what we need to do 
to circumvent coveting in our lives. He says in Colossians 3, this is why you must kill everything in you that belongs only to earthly life, fornication, impurity, guilty passions, evil desires, and especially greed, which is the same thing as worshiping a false god. Notice that he says kill. He doesn't say maim. He doesn't say play around with it and pretend it doesn't exist. He doesn't say contain it or control it. Kill it. Don't mess around with it. Satan will whisper lies in our ears. And if we don't kill it, it's kind of like a weed. If you pull up a weed and you don't get the whole root, what's going to happen? It just grows back. So we need to, we need to kill them and be serious about it. Now let's move into the 10th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's goods. I love this example of coveting here because it points out so many things that are real about coveting our neighbor's goods. Now, you think about this little boy here. He, he's got a popsicle. It's a nice cold popsicle on a warm day. And is it enjoyable? Yeah, he's enjoying it. But now he sees what, what his friend has. His friend has his nice, luscious ice cream cone. And so what is he doing? He's starting to compare what he has to what she is enjoying. And he's going, huh, that doesn't seem very fair. I don't feel so good about this. And he looks down at his popsicle, and it's a nice popsicle. It's enjoyable, but he's going to say, oh, this crummy old popsicle, and he might throw it on the ground. What else might he do? He's definitely going to feel discontent. And in his discontentment, he's going to be thinking, boy, I wish I had that ice cream cone. That's sure delicious. And he's going to start to envy what she has. And envy is a very, very dangerous thing. It can lead us to, to take action and do things and feel things that are very damaging to our relationships. And so what might this little boy do out of envy? Maybe he'll just bump her elbow there and make her drop her ice cream. Ha, if, you, if I can't enjoy it, <laughs> she's not going to either. Or maybe he'll grab it and run. Or maybe he'll start saying negative things about that ice cream cone. Oh, that's just vanilla. Who likes vanilla? Vanilla's awful. You see what the envy does and the covetousness. And what does that do to the relationship between this boy and this girl? Now, the girl's not off the hook. The girl's kind of caught up in greed here. You see, she has no idea how her friend is feeling. She's so obsessed with what she has and enjoying what she has that she's blind to his needs. She's blind to maybe sharing what she has with her friend. Or maybe she knows where she can get another ice cream cone that he can enjoy. So this is a great example to get us started on how coveting the things of this world play out in our lives. But let's look at it in reality, in, in the world that we live in. Let's go through each of these again, comparing and diminishing the things that we have. Now, God has blessed us all with many things. And everybody's always going to find somebody else who has something nicer, better, fancier, bigger, and they're going to start to compare 
And as we compare what somebody else has, maybe the house or their car or their job, their good looks, we start to compare and we diminish the blessings in our lives and think, oh, my house is kind of small, it's not in the right neighborhood, I wish I had what somebody else had. And we diminish the blessings in our lives instead of being grateful and having gratitude for the blessings. And we become discontent in these feelings and we start feeling bad about ourselves. I'm not living up to my potential. I'm not doing what I should be doing. I should work harder. And we become obsessed, more obsessed with the things of this world. And in our discontentment, we might become envious of what other people have. And, and in our envy, if they have something good happen in their lives, maybe they get to go on a vacation or they get a better job. We're kind of sad about their good fortune. We're secretly kind of upset and discontent about that. Or maybe something bad happens, they lose their job. Or they have a, a roof in their, their new house leak into the, to their kitchen and they have a lot of damage and secretly we're a little bit, little bit happy about that. These are covetous feelings in our lives. And of course, greed. We can become obsessed with the things in our lives to where we want more and we're never satisfied with what we have in our lives. We become blind to the needs of others and we just hold the things that we have close for ourselves and we're not trusting in God, we're trusting in the things that we hold in our greed. Think of Ebenezer Scrooge. He never had enough, he always wanted more and how disgruntled he was, how discontent he was in his life and how he was blind to Tiny Tim and Tiny Tim's family. Covetousness, it's a very serious thing. We need to recognize how it operates in our lives, what ways that we fall to covetousness so that we can root them out. I wanna spend a little time on envy. Envy can be a very confusing thing. It's very much a part of coveting. And the thing that's confusing about envy, envy and jealousy, they're kind of used interchangeably and sometimes they're used as something positive and sometimes they're used in a negative way. So to make things clear on this, there's two different types of envy. There's malicious envy and there's benign envy. Back in 1994, we had the two world skaters, Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan great competitors in the 1994 Olympics and they were battling it out to get the gold and it, it wasn't so much Tanya Harding but it was her agent who coveted the gold a little too much and he attacked Nancy Kerrigan who was a likely winner of the gold he attacked her in, in, to hurt her legs to take her out of the competition this is malicious envy harming somebody else to get what we want, a disordered desire that causes us to take action that's harmful to others. To get a little bit more insight on malicious envy, Aristotle says malicious envy is the pain a person experiences at the sight of another person's good fortune. And then the Catholic Catechism says the sadness at the sight of another's goods 
and the immoderate desire to acquire them for oneself, even unjustly. So this is the malicious envy. Now let's look at the benign envy. Here we got another couple of competitors. Back in the 1970s, we have Nicky Lauda on the, uh, the, the right there in the red, and his friend, James Hunt. Fierce competitors on the racetrack, but good friends. James just had this natural ability to drive a race car. And he didn't try at it real hard. He just had that ability and he loved racing. And Nicky, he had to work really hard at it. And he envied the talent and the skill that his friend James had. And he worked hard to become as good as James. In one of the races, Nicky suffered a huge setback. He got in this huge fiery crash. And you can see up, up under the bill of his cap there where he's got some scars on his head. Huge burns over most of his body. People didn't think he was going to make it, let alone come back and ever compete again. But he was inspired by the envy of his friend James and the talent of James. And he fought his way back. And while James won one world championship in the formula racing circuit, Nicky came back and he won three. So envy can inspire us to greatness, inspire us to do something really good. So to, hopefully that gives you a, a more clarity on envy and the way that it can work for, for good and for bad. Take two minutes in silence and then go into your, your second question in your workbook. What allows coveting to enter our hearts and what problems does coveting cause? We've seen in the first part of the presentation how coveting gives birth to sin. It starts with that temptation. It's kind of like a forest fire. It starts with a single match. And that single match grows and then it becomes out of control and it's a blazing fire. And that temptation does the same thing if we allow it to grow, if we don't put it out right away. Now that match can be put out right away just by stomping on it real quickly or throwing some water on it quickly when it's small. But once it gets too big and out of control, it's not going to work. So what do we do with this temptation? We nip it in the bud when it's small, when it's a single match. Now, knowing this, knowing how coveting works, it starts small and then it grows and it expands. Knowing this allows us to circumvent not just coveting, but all the rest of the commandments. We can use this to our advantage to know that if I covet something, and it becomes a disordered desire and I obsess over it and I'm going to lie and I'm going to steal and I might commit adultery to get what I want. If I learn to not covet and I put that fire out right away, lying and stealing and adultery and all the other commandments become easy to live. How awesome is that? These commandments possess the keys and the secrets of living the commandments, all of them, and experiencing the joy 
and the relationships that we all desire with one another and with God. So hidden in these two commandments, the ninth and tenth commandments, they are the antidote for all of the other commandments. They're the antidote that gets us back to the harmony God wants for us. As we learn not to covet, we're no longer a slave to the desires that lead us to steal. When we don't covet, we're able to put God first in our lives because we haven't replaced God with the idols and the obsessions in our lives. And we look forward to worshiping on Sundays and resting in his love. The antidote, God put it right into the commandments for us to show us our way back to him and the harmony that he wants for us. Now you might be saying, that's pretty cool, Ed, but but how do we do that? <laughs> well, I see if I can share a few things that might help you along the way here. I'm going to share something that Jesus shared with all of us on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The secret right here of how to live those commandments the, and, and receive the antidote for all that we struggle with. With a pure heart, we can see God. When we get rid of all the clutter, all the false gods in our lives, all the disordered desires, when we get rid of those and we have a pure heart, it gives us room to bring God in and put God front and center in our lives. So you might be saying, that's great, Ed, but how do we do that? Well, the Catechism gives us an explanation, gives us some instructions. And in paragraph 2517, it says, remain simple and innocent. And you will be like little children who do not know the evil that destroys man's lives. That purity of heart, the purity of heart of a child so that we don't know the evil that destroys man's life. That takes us back to Adam and Eve. They learned the evil by eating from the tree of good and evil. With purity of heart, with the innocence, we can rediscover that harmony. We can take the evil that's in our heart and replace it with what is good. It's purity of heart and seeing God like a little child. A little child goes about and has such a pure heart and we love it. We love the innocence. We need to pursue that innocence in our lives. Simplify our lives so that we don't desire the things of this world. So we need to clean house. We need to purify our hearts. We need to take all of the gunk <laughs> that we've collected, all of the things in our lives that have gotten in the way of our relationship with God and keeping God front and center in our lives, and we need to clean house and purify it, get it out of our lives. In the first book of Peter, we're told, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, insincerity, 
envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, so that through it you may grow into salvation. Isn't that where we want to be, to get back to that harmony of salvation? We need to rid ourselves of the things in our lives, not just maim them, not just put them aside and keep them in control, but rid ourselves, kill those things in our lives. We need to clean house so that we now have space for God to enter into our lives. Space that we can put God front and center in the decisions that we make and how we order the things in our life. So to identify the covetousness, we need to start with identifying what we covet and why we covet so we can attack them and rid them specifically. So ask yourself these questions to help you see where you covet. Do I compare myself to others and what they have? Do I think, oh, they have so much more and diminish the things in my life? Do we secretly celebrate other people's misfortunes? Do I become angry at their good fortunes and their successes? Does it make me feel a little upset? Do I complain and grumble about the blessings that God has in my life? And do the choices that I make, do those choices cause my relationships to suffer? If any of these are true for you, and we all struggle with this, we need to ask ourselves, why is that? What is it that causes me to want that over something that is good? Why is it that I want something that is of lesser value over something that is of greater value? And we need to pursue that question. So these are ways that we can start to identify, and as we identify them, we can start into the spiritual steps to purify our hearts, to make them pure and make room for God. And so with humility, we identify and we admit to what we covet. And as we identify and admit it, God's waiting for us in the sacrament of reconciliation to cleanse us of our sins, of that covetousness, to open up our hearts to make room for God. And we can develop a desire for God to truly be first in our lives, most important. And develop that desire every single day in prayer, in reading the scriptures, taking time to get to know God, to be with God, and learn to love God. That's how we bring God into our lives first and front and center in our lives. Spending time with them is like any other relationship that we have. And then pursue some virtues that will help us to purify our hearts. Pursue the virtue of chastity and poverty and love of truth. Some ways to do this is through fasting. And we can fast in a variety of ways. Food's the most common one that we think of, but we can fast from entertainment. We can fast from the things that we like. Maybe we have an abundance and we can have more time for entertainment. We can have more time to sit down and, and enjoy food and, and more food to, to eat, but maybe we can practice moderation. And this will help us in our virtues of chastity and poverty. And we can pursue God 
in the love of truth by pursuing the truth and committing ourselves to truth. And then in service to others and sharing what we have with others. So these are some ways to get you started spiritually. There's some practical things that you can begin doing. When you find yourself complaining about something in your life, turn it around and make it into a compliment. See the blessing in it instead of complaining. And practice gratitude. We've talked about gratitude in a gratitude journal several times. Practice being grateful for all the things in your life. And even some of the things that you don't want in your lives, you can usually look at those in a way that maybe you can find a blessing there or just trust God that he will turn it into a blessing. Giving joyfully. In the seventh commandment, we said don't steal, but let's learn to give joyfully with a joyful heart. This helps us to purify our hearts and to get things in the right order instead of being disordered. Removing the temptations, the things in our lives that cause us to be in the near occasion of sin. Rid them, kill them, get them out of our lives. Completely remove them. We need to identify them and then remove them. <clears throat> Replace bad habits with good ones. An example of this is to take and put a Bible or a good spiritual reading on your chair. So when you sit down, you don't pick up the remote and start turning on that channel that usually has some things on there that aren't leading you in the right way, not, not helping you with your, your covetousness, but leading you into it. Or maybe taking the social media and the time that you spend in social media and put that aside, remove that from your devices and instead replace that with exercise or reading a good book. Changing your habits, because as Matthew Kelly says, as our habits change, our lives change. So developing these good habits. And not to be redundant, but to emphasize frequent particip participation in the sacraments of reconciliation and Holy Communion. Some practical steps to purifying our hearts to make room for God. Now, something I wanna be careful not to have you walk away with, and that is, if we're not supposed to covet anything, we just, just settle for with what we have and, and uh, don't ever try and do anything more. Well, I don't want you to leave with that being the case. God gave all of us talents and he wants us to use them and use them to our fullest. And Jesus tells us in the story of the talents how disappointed he was in the person who went and took his talents and just buried them and didn't at least get interest on it. And how he rewarded the two men who took the talents that they have and doubled them. God wants us to be our very best. But we need to just make sure we put them in the right orders. And again, to steal one of Matthew Kelly's sayings, we all need to strive to become the best versions of ourselves, but not to be self-serving and self-satisfying, but to put things in the right order so that all the things that we have glorify God. And so these two commandments, they're focusing us back on the first commandment. It's kind of like a circle. We start back at the first commandment of putting God first in our lives, not having strange gods before the one true God that created everything, intending it to be a harmonious world, a life of love. And all the things in our lives that he blesses us with, we need to see them as a blessing, 
See them in relationship to how they lead us to Christ. All the blessings that we have in our lives, if they don't lead us to Christ, they're leaving us away from Christ. And so we need to look at these things and make sure that we're using them in the way that God intends them. That we're not blind to the purpose as to why God gave them to us. So this week, in your action plan and your family activity, a couple things to be doing. Reflect, take some time and reflect on the, the worldly attachments in your lives, the tangible and the intangible ones. What things do you have in the wrong priorities, out of order, maybe disordered? Spend a little too much time on them and write out a plan on how to get God first in your life. And then as a family activity with the children in your lives, have the children write down a toy or something they want most in the world. It could be a vacation or it doesn't have to be a toy. Have them write down and draw a picture and tell a story about it to everybody else. And then say, what if you didn't get that? What if your friend got it instead? How would you feel? And have them see how coveting can get in the way of relationships and have a discussion to share what we talked about tonight with them. So next week, the mysterious 11th commandment. <laughs> what is the 11th commandment? We'll come back next week and, and we'll get into that. It's, a, it's a, an amazing gift of love from God. And it sets the stage and it shows us how to create a good future for our children for the children in our lives and for society. So make sure you come back next week for, for the 11th commandment there. Before we break into our group discussions, let's go ahead and close with our closing prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Creator of the universe and redeemer of our souls, give us your grace to grow in your commandments each day and your mercy when we stumble. You are the Lord, our God. We will not have other gods before you. We will not use your name in vain, but will glorify your name in all our words and actions. We will remember to keep holy the Lord's day by preserving it only for worshiping you, resting in you, and for relationship with family and friends. We will honor our father and mother and teach our children to do the same. We will not kill, but will honor and protect life from conception to natural death. We will not commit adultery, but will honor our bodies for the sacred purpose of new life. We will not steal, but instead cultivate a heart of generosity. We will not lie, but rather honor truth in our words and actions. And we will not covet our neighbor's spouse, and we will not covet the things of this world, but rather we will set our heart on building treasures in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, before we get into the group discussions, as part of your group discussions, your group facilitator will be pass passing out uh, a reassessment. Remember at the very beginning, on the first session, we did an assessment of our knowledge of the commandments. We've come through all these and we're going to reassess it again. And we're going to compare the difference next week. So as you start your group discussion, take about five minutes for everybody to fill out their assessments and turn them in. 
And then go into your group discussions here, question number three. How does learning to not covet help to obey all the other commandments? And number four, what's the most important lesson you learn today that you need to teach to your, the children in your life? Thank you so much. Until next time, make it a joy-filled week.